week of L's for Norwich City. Leeds away, Liverpool in the FA Cup. 1-0 defeat, 5-2 defeat. Um, and maybe it's taken a little bit of wind out of their sails, but hopefully not too much. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, brought to you in association with Coleman's of Norwich, producing the very best mustard in the land. Uh, I'm Connor Southwell, joined by Adam Harvey, Paddy Davitt and Samuel Seaman to reflect on um, what's been a very busy week. We've got loads and loads to talk about from obviously two games, uh, a lack of transfers, but not a lack of substance in terms of speak about uh, transfers. We've got, uh, we, we were at Old Trafford for the under-21s game. There's loads and loads and loads to delve into. But I think we, we'll start with the games uh, that were, and we'll rattle through them. So we'll, we'll start with Leeds first and foremost. Um, Adam, let's let's start with you to, to kick us off. I mean, Leeds, this was a uh, a hastily arranged game, um, but, but one probably everyone left with, I, I don't know if positive is a stretch, but certainly not feeling too downbeat in the end about a 1-0 defeat at, at Ellen Road. No, I think given their home record, which has you know, been well documented, yet to to lose at Ellen Road all season, I thought Norwich gave a, a relatively good account of themselves, albeit you know didn't really create the chances they needed to, to really threaten the Leeds goal. Um, you could see that clinical nature in the Leeds finish that, that Bamford, of course, buried uh, against his former club. Um, but, you know, Leeds are going to be up amongst the top two mix come the end of the season. It's not the kind of game that Norwich required the three points from if they're going to try and push towards the playoffs. It's that those teams around them, you know, the, the ones that are coming up now, the likes of Coventry, Watford, um, that are going to be so crucial in in where this season goes from, from now on. But, um, yeah, that there was positives to take, I thought, you know, given other sides have gone to Ellen Road and struggled a lot more this season, you know, even... Ipswich went there and, and got dominated by, you know, 4-0 and, and put a really poor showing in. So in that sense, there's definitely positives to take moving forwards um, into what's now sort of a, a really crucial last 17 games of the season. Yeah, there's, there's been lots of points made, Paddy, hasn't there, in terms of from David Wagner, at different points of the season about what he wants to see his side improve on at one stage, obviously, uh, and we've spoken about it at great length. They were conceding two goals a game. They've obviously significantly reduced that prior to, to yesterday's FA Cup defeat. Um and then he's kind of shifted to speak about possession. And what we saw at Leeds really was, particularly in that second half, a prolonged spell of possession, but probably a lack of substance behind that possession. Is is that fair? Uh, one thing at a time, Connor. We've got to put the bricks back in place, haven't we? We've, we've got the defensive resolution. We've got the midfield possession. Tongue firmly planted in cheek because the sample's far too small. So now we'll worry about the top end of the pitch. To be fair, though... Um, I wish I had the stat to my to mind, but are they the biggest or the top scorers in the championship? I think they are. If not, they're up there, aren't they? In terms of, I think I heard I that yesterday around the FA Cup now. coverage. Yeah, but I mean that just underlines that. Yes, on that particular occasion, you're right. They didn't really, and David was the first to admit it after the game at Ellen Road that night. They didn't have that cutting edge, but over the piece, given Sargent's been out for a prolonged period as well, and Barnes to a lesser degree. They certainly have carried a goal threat. So, again, it feels more of the elements are there or the pieces of the jigsaw are there, but are they getting put together in a in a fashion that over a long period of time, i.e. a full championship season to this point anyway, would lead you to believe that, yes, this, this group of players under this head coach are now ready, set up, and they're going to get stronger from here. I don't think we can say that with any certainty, really, um, albeit. Yes, in isolation, what we saw on the ball at Leeds in that second half particularly um, against the uber possession coach, as we know, in Daniel Farker, um, was was positive. Nunes and McLean um, really set the tone and uh, they condensed the play, they squeezed the pitch. Leeds maybe sat back a touch, but I think it was more about what Norwich did rather than Leeds in that, in that facet of the game. But I think you put a stat out after the game, Connor, that touches in the box for Sargent were, were pretty minimal and, and just entries into the final third were, were pretty poor as well. And so clearly they didn't get all the elements right. But having David Wagner talked about, look, we need to work on possession now uh, a little bit more, I think, which was post the Southampton game, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that is evidence that they, they have worked on that. But again, we're now very soon into February of a season that started in August with a pre-season before that, should we be at this stage still be in the experimentation phase? Uh, definitely not for me. So something's gone badly wrong there. 
Yeah, just to, to to pick up. So Leeds are the third joint top goal scorers uh, behind Southampton and Leicester. Uh, they've scored 51. Southampton has scored 53. Leicester 56. But they are second in terms of uh, goals against. And I think the win against Norwich made it... Um, Four wins in a row, three wins in a row, four wins in a row. Um, so that, that that it was it was always going to be difficult going to Ellen Road. And it's it's interesting, Sam, because I think a word that's been used a lot this season when speaking about Norwich City is control or lack of control. And um, there has been this kind of idea that possession equates to control. You can have controls in, in, in football in lots of different ways. Ask Diego Simeone at Atletico Madrid. They do it very differently. They they have control of games without the ball and, and control where their opposition have the ball. And I did feel there was an element of that about this this Leeds game. It was a case of, of Leeds allowing Norwich the ball in areas where they weren't really going to hurt them. And I know um, the Ellen Road crowd were getting a little bit frustrated, but it proved quite effective in the end. And we know we, we've seen it over a, a long period of time with Daniel Farker's sides. They aren't always the best at pressing. So um, maybe that's to be expected. And, and you touched upon it there, Paddy. I mean, for, for the Leeds game, um, despite all of the second half possession, Norwich only had seven touches in Leeds' box. And, and Josh Sargent and John Rowe didn't have a single touch in there at all. Leeds actually had 27. They only produced one shot in the second half and it was Nunez from range and was blocked. So Meslier didn't really have a save to make. So yes, it was better that we saw more quality and this will probably lend and contradict when we talk about Sunday's game at Anfield. But we did see an improvement with the ball, Sam, but probably just not quite in the right areas. They weren't able to connect that possession and quality with the ball to their to their attacking players to to hurt Leeds in a way that, that maybe they should have done with the amount of ball that they saw. Yeah, we've been speaking for ages about whether Wagner has sort of the players to play a more proactive system than he currently is and whether some of those better players are being used in the, the proper way. And I think this showed in some ways that they do have the capabilities to to sort of keep possession and do it that way if they'd like to. I thought Marcelino Nunez, um, especially, and there are a couple of other players out there that showed that they would be more comfortable in that sort of sort of situation but the reason why Leeds were able to control the game in that fashion and able to allow Norwich to have so much possession is because I don't think they really know what they're doing in that type of situation I think I've, I've spoken about it a couple of times since the game really that if you want to set up the way that David Wagner does how much time do you actually spend in training sort of dedicated to what you do when you're in controlled possession and when you have long spells on the ball like they did I'd suggest given the way that, that things have looked recently, that you probably don't spend much time on that. So as much as I thought there were players that actually looked like they could sort of thrive in that environment and could produce something, um, I think part of the reason why they struggle to do that is because they're so out of practice and they're probably out of a system that really has a plan as to how they're going to exploit um, sort of situations like that. So as much as, you know, you, you spoke about it there, really, you could, on the face of it, just look at it as a positive and the fact that Norwich managed to dominate possession against such a good side for such an extended spell. But I think the weaknesses at the moment and the way that they play were probably what allowed Leeds to do that and what allowed Leeds to sort of um, control control that game. So, yeah, in the long term, I think it actually posed quite a few questions it was actually strange to sort of see Norwich in that situation it feels like such a long time since we since we've watched a Norwich team that can actually just keep the ball for two or three minutes and can frustrate a, a home support and had they been able to do that for a really long period of time if that was their sort of system and the way that they tried to break down teams I think they might have had a little bit more success but as I said they're so out of practice they just didn't really look like they knew how to take it up a gear and, and turn that dominance in possession into actual tangible chances. Yeah, and I, and I guess the the point, Adam, for, from this game is, is and, and this is where David Wagner's head is at, and this is where I guess other people's head will be at, is that actually if they have those spells of possessions against, against teams that aren't Leeds United and, and maybe don't have the quality defensively or individually and, and can't hurt them in transition in the way that, that Leeds did in that second half and first half as well, to be fair, then it, it probably shows that, that this is a group of players who can go and impose themselves on games a little bit more, particularly at Carrow Road, particularly against maybe teams who 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 are towards the wrong end of the table or certainly aren't in that that breakaway top four that, that we're seeing at the moment. So I think it's fair to say it was probably a performance that encouraged hope that maybe this is a Norwich team, as Paddy referenced it, maybe albeit a little bit too slowly, but one that is slowly and gradually improving and has done over the, over the last few weeks. Yeah, I think the key is, is replication of this performance now against those sides in and around them that they need to get the points against. You know, most sides aren't going to have a 
36 million pound striker in their ranks, um, like Leeds United did in, in the form of Ruta, who's you know a class above this level. You know, as much as teams like Coventry and Watford have got good quality players, they're probably still quite a long way away from the quality that, that Leeds had, you know, particularly given the kind of aspect of it being away from home at Ellen Road as well. That sort of added into the the difficulty, but in, in some ways more encouragement there from a Norwich City perspective in, you know, the way they, they performed. Um, and I think the home crowd will now want to see that, you know, given the sort of way that the, the Southampton game at home transpired and the lack of possession and just kind of that one one clinical chance they had and, and Sargent taking it. I think Norwich fans, you know, are going to want to see see that similar performance that they got at Leeds in the home games, it, it will, you know, I suppose, give confidence to the fans, the excitement levels will raise. And then hopefully, you know, that, that unity that, that David Wagner speaks about could could create something quite special come the end of the season. You know, it's, it's going to be difficult and Norwich have still got a lot of work to do, you know, to try and catch up to, to the sides above them, um, particularly given, you know, Coventry will have played another game by the time we, we reach Saturday. They might be five points ahead of Norwich. So it would feel like a sort of win or bust situation again, which um, we've kind of been sort of feeling, I suppose, for, for recent weeks. So, um, yeah, but but positive signs, um, you know, in, in that game. And hopefully they can, you know, take that forward and, and replicate that. Yep, absolutely. I think that that parks leads. Unless anyone wants to to shout about anything else, Gabriel Sara and, and Kenny McLean missing some some pretty key chances in the first half, particularly Gabriel Sara. If he scores that one, I think it becomes a a slightly different game. Uh, let's let's move on to Anfield then. Five two defeat for Norwich City, and it was all, it was always going to be tough. You look at the the names and, and the fact that Liverpool could make a triple change that saw what Robertson, uh, Soboslai, and uh, who's the other one? Um, it was one of the front. Reich. That's it. And Van and Van Dyke came on. Alexander Arnold came on later. Diaz. Uh, Diaz. Diaz. I mean, that, that was their that was their five substitutes, let alone their, their starting eleven. I mean, it's a, an embarrassment of riches available to, to Jurgen Klopp, um, who is seemingly running out of energy um at Anfield and he's going to step down at the end of the season. This was the beginning of his Elton John-esque farewell tour uh, in terms of length. What did you make of it, Paddy? Because again, I think you have to, you can accept all of that context, can't you? In terms of Liverpool's quality, top of the Premier League, loads of teams go to Anfield and, and get beaten quite comprehensively. But there will be, I think, and Ben Gibson alluded to this after the game, there probably will be that nagging feeling that a lot of what Norwich City did was handing goals to, to Liverpool on, on, on a silver platter. That was what they did for the first four of the five anyway. Um point I put to David after the game that it's not not in doubt you've listed the names there but it, their front, front three was Gakpo uh, Darwin Nunes and Jota now nah, that's that's off the Richter in terms of what I mean we're talking about Leeds and their quality go up many a level again so and that was underlined for me and it's not to single him out but the third goal uh, straight after half time critical period really 2-1 Norwich in that game Gabby Zara's had a shot just gone wider the near post they're in that game. They're in that cup tie. And then just a diagonal that Gibson doesn't deal with. But, you know, the quality difference between the two leagues was, was graphically illustrated in what happened next. It was Diego Jota straight on the ball, not even a, a, a touch to control it. Bang, angled half volley, past George Long into the opposite corner. Majestic. And Jurgen Klopp referenced that as probably the key moment in the tie, really, because after that, they could slip a gear and they could bring the reinforcements onto the pitch. And, um, Bar science is a superb second goal for Norwich. It, it, it was pretty much the, the academic in terms of the outcome at that point. So, yeah, we don't need we don't need to get hung up or stressed about Norwich weren't able to go to Anfield and, and pull off a, you know a surprise result. Um, but you can't airbrush out that that if you dissect the first four goals, sourced in amongst those excellent finishes were poor decision making. Um, poor in turnovers, poor decisions to jump uh, instead of hang fire and, and leaving gaps. Um, lack of communication, you know, between players, the space that was afforded to some of those Liverpool players. Uh, it's not acceptable, really. It's not acceptable. Yes, yes, you're going to get punished, and and that's you accept that when you go to these teams. But don't make it easy for them. It would be my take on it. And. Um, you know, if they're going to beat you and they're going to put you to the sword, then then they'll do it with the the quality they possess. Don't you know leave players like Nunes or Jones uh, unmarked, Jota, uh, let him run in behind, and uh, you do that, then there's only going to be one outcome. So I, for me, that was that was the frustration that that they were in that game. And okay, you know the the way the game panned out, it it was 
probably always going to end up with this outcome, i.e. Norwich out of the competition. But, uh, you know, you, you left there feeling, well, they probably made it a little bit too easy for Liverpool, as good as Liverpool are, and, and potentially will will go on to prove it this season in, as you say, Klopp's farewell tour. I'll be amazed if they don't add a few more pieces of uh, trophy silverware to that bulging Anfield uh, trophy cabinet in that majestic stadium, which we experienced for the first time since the Anfield Road redevelopment. Um, dare I say it, I'm not sure when we'll be back there again. No, no, quite. And and I agree. I think for particularly you referenced four of the goals, but there, there were some moments in there defensively and yes, Liverpool have quality, but when, when teams have that quality, you want to be unlocked and you want to be conceding goals because of that quality, not because of deficiencies um, on on the part of Norwich. And it kind of felt like that was more of the case. And ultimately we, we've seen it as well. It doesn't matter if you're playing Liverpool. It doesn't matter if you're playing Plymouth. If you have those uh, defensive deficiencies and, and you don't do the basics very well, you you get beat and you get beat pretty badly and and, and that's that's kind of um, what we've seen. Sam, what, what what did you make about so so two things I wanted to ask you about really the decision from, from David Wagner to start with Ashley Barnes and I think there's a, a logic there in terms of he obviously wanted to use him as a bit of a, a release or a relief valve almost to try and get Norwich up the pitch to try and make the ball stick and and, and to try and help them a little bit transitionally. Of course you can understand that thought process. The the other idea really is to start with an Adam Eder to try and clip the ball into channels and try and turn Liverpool and stretch the game a little bit. And, and this idea that maybe then Liverpool take the ball in deeper areas and their sort of spells of possession begin maybe in their final third or certainly in their own half compared to on the halfway line and, and it relieves some of the pressure. So look, maybe it's maybe it's a little bit of doing the same thing. But so that, that point first and foremost. And then there's been lots of stuff about Norwich City's possession and trying to play out from the back and I think we saw it for the second goal it cost them slightly what, what did you make of, of, of both of those elements and, and kind of tactical decisions from from David Wagner and his, his coaching team because we have seen at stages this season I guess Southampton's the most graphic example but there are others where Norwich have decided to move away from that kind of idea of of playing out from the goalkeeper and trying to basically bait a press yeah the Barnes one I think I can understand slightly more even though I, I think the the problems with that decision were sort of laid bare, especially throughout the first half. I think Wagner probably wanted a more physical presence up there that's able to to hold the ball up and get them up the pitch in a game where they probably couldn't rely on on much possession and much dominance of the ball. I think although Ida looks like quite a physical presence and probably has the athleticism to run in behind, his touch isn't quite good enough to to be a reliable striker when you need somebody to to hold the ball up. So I, I sort of understood that. And there's also the the elements of maybe Barnes having success against Klopp at Anfield before and, and maybe the, the psychological elements of that. So although I might have gone a different way in terms of Ida being able to run in behind, I think I could understand that decision. But there were a number of times when you had the likes of Nunez and Sarah, um, even the fullbacks at times, look up and, and see the option in front of them being Ashley Barnes as the player who, who you, you might have to clip it in behind to try and find. And up against um, Kwanzaa and Kanate at the back, there was absolutely no chance that if you just put the ball the other side of the defender that he was going to cause any sort of problem. By the time that, I mean, on the rare occasions that happened, by the time that the defender had got to the ball, Barnes was three or four yards away from them. And in that sense, I think it denied them an opportunity that they might have had at times to to just put a ball into the channel or to try and play the ball in behind and, and have success that way. But as I said, I could I could sort of understand the decision, even if I wouldn't have made it myself. On the, the sort of passing out, I don't think it was the right decision just because of the, the quality of the opposition and the way that they play. I know it looked quite bad um, when Norwich were losing the ball sort of in their own defensive third quite often but I think we tend to look at things through a purely sort of Norwich City um, prism at times and this is one of the best teams in the world pressing wise so as much as it's easy to to criticise the the basic mistakes the, the players were making and I think there were defensive errors in terms of you know Paddy mentioned the, the jumping out for that second goal and Kenny McLean made an absolutely reckless decision in terms of, of trying to do that. Jones had too much space when he was found for the opener. But I think in terms of that passing out, if you've been told to do it, it it's hard to really see how these mid-table championship players are going to 
get around one of the best presses in the world. And although it always looks like really poor mistakes, I think there was also a, a, a degree to which the Liverpool quality was was unbelievable in the press. Um, and I suppose when you consider that, it makes it an even stranger tactical decision. I think if it was under someone like Farker, where that's sort of the the ideolo- ideological way that you're gonna set you're gonna set up, and you don't want to to change that because you want the players to be performing it consistently week in week out, then maybe I would be defending it in that sense. But under Wagner, where it's very much been changed depending on the game and and go for the tactical approach that's most likely to get you a result. I wonder why he's chosen to do things that way. Maybe he felt that Liverpool press so high that you can sort of bait them in, as you said, and you can try and get around them and have space the other way. But if there was a way around Liverpool in that sense, they would they would definitely not be top of the Premier League, let alone in the FA Cup against a, a sort of mid-table championship side. So tactically, I thought that was an interesting decision and maybe one that compromised his, his players a little bit defensively. Um, but I think when we look at the, the players and we criticise the mistakes, you have to also consider the opposition that they were facing and the fact that they probably were told to, well, they, they definitely were told to pass it out from the back from from how they played. And I thought they were actually put in, in quite a tricky situation in that sense. It was it was quite in- interesting to see Norwich City be more braver in possession and, and try and uh, be more bolder than, than they were a couple of weeks ago when Southampton came to Carrow Road uh, against a team who, as you said, significantly, significantly better. That, that does feel um, quite interesting, whether it's the freedom of the cup that, 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 that made David Wagner do it. I, I don't I don't hate it in a sense, but but equally, I, f- I think you're right. There is um, people you want to use the word naivety. I'm not sure if that's the correct one, but it, but it definitely felt a little bit. Uh, at odds, given the the, the climate and the situation that they were playing, um, I, I also felt as well the the decision to to, to go four five one left them sort of a man short on on the defensive line, and that as you saw for the first goal because of the way that Liverpool pushed men forward. I think they they might have again they might have actually been more suited to going with a back five in this occasion than, than they were um, against Southampton. But hey-ho, it's an easier, easier job in hindsight, isn't it, football management? And as, as Wagner has, has said himself, there are so many pros and cons to each tactical um, variation and decision and formation and, um, and, and, and it's ultimately up to him to, to, to weigh it up. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it, they're, they're worth talking about, though. Um, Adam, th- there was something for the, the 4,000 Norris City fans to, to shout about. Two goals, one uh, from Borja Sainz, which was um, unbelievable, really. Brilliant strike. Um, and the, the first one from Ben Gibson, which was a, a really well-executed set piece. I, I spoke to him after the game. He's, he's, he's had a really difficult... A few months, and he spoke about that pretty openly to, to myself and then to to Chris Coram afterwards. He's he's had a, a premature, or his daughter was born prematurely in December. She's uh, been in the, the the Norwich and Norfolk University Hospital, been in intensive care, all of all of those kind of aspects. It sounds like from what he was saying, she's on the mend, and I think they're hoping to get her home in the in the next couple of weeks. Um, but th- those goals and those moments, it was it was it was wonderful for him personally, given everything that he's been through first first and foremost. But then for the fans as well, because when you go to a place like Anfield and there's so little respite in terms of seeing your team have the ball um, and, and seeing your team maybe hurt Liverpool, to have those two moments felt felt quite good. Yeah, particularly as well for Ben Gibson. I mean, the goal he scored at the point obviously got them level in, in the game. It was a, a crucial moment. It, it probably felt like if Liverpool went and scored a second at that point, it was definitely going to be game over. So the fact that he registered his first Norwich City goal was, was a you know a great moment. He struggled with injuries, of course, in the past and, and maybe sort of that's kind of held him back at different points. And it feels like he's maybe not been quite the same player ever since that sort of big injury he had at, at the end of the promotion season um, against Blackburn. But yeah, great, great moment for him personally, particularly given kind of his contractual situation. There's no guarantee that he'll be here next season. So um, to get off the mark in a Norwich shirt was nice. And, and of course, the Borja Sainz goal, which was, was something quite special. I thought he really impacted the game when he came off the bench, um, looked a real threat. Um, a couple of times he carried the ball forward and it sort of looked like he was going to create something. And that moment, sort of, as, soon as, it, as soon as it left his boot, you had a feeling it was going to hit the back of the net. And um, yeah, for, the, for those 4,000 fans that 
that made the long trek up. I mean, I think a lot of them, I know me personally, thought if they scored a goal yesterday, it would have been a pretty good achievement. So to get two, um, there's not many teams that will go to Anfield and, and score two goals. Um, unfortunately, of course, they, they conceded five, but um, that's just Liverpool and, and the animal that they are at Anfield as well. You know, they're a side that have only lost, uh, I think, once uh, since uh, it would be 2022 against Leeds about the October period. So they're just a different, uh, you know, a different monster at home. And of course, you've got the Jurgen Klopp element uh, all in that as well. So, um, yeah, I think I think most of those 4,000 Norwich fans can, can take the positives from that game. Um, you know, relatively good atmosphere in the away end um, for, you know, at different points during the game, probably outsung, you know, a very sort of, I suppose, heightened Liverpool crowd given given the news this week. Um, so, yeah, it, it was probably, you know, a good moment. And I suppose a lot of those fans, you know, won't get to go to Anfield for, for quite a few years now, potentially, although we do seem to get Liverpool every season in the FA Cup. So I'm sure we'll be back there next season. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, good, good occasion. Um, disappointed to, to obviously exit the FA Cup, but you know the championship is is the priority. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think there's some sort of law somewhere that insists that, that Norwich must play Liverpool in a cup competition. It certainly it certainly felt like that the last few years, whether that's the FA Cup or or the League Cup. Um, Paddy, the, the decision from from David Wagner to leave Josh Sargent at home. He didn't travel to to Merseyside. He, he He's obviously still coming back from a uh, a long term injury that, that kept him out for a prolonged period of time. He he did start against West Brom, scored, started at Leeds, little less of an impact. I think we, we both felt he he looked a little bit fatigued at, at Ellen Road on on Wednesday night. Um, given that there's a, a full week now between Norwich or six days, but essentially a week between um, Norwich City's trip to Anfield and, and that game on Saturday against Coventry. Can you understand the logic? Do you think Josh Sargent should have been included on the bench? Where, where are you at in terms of, of, of that decision? Because I think for a lot of people, certainly a lot of fans who maybe would have liked to have seen Josh Sargent, OK, if he couldn't start, maybe just take a place on the bench and try and impact the game later on. Yeah, no, I can see that entirely. But by the same token, David Vardy has been very consistent in this sort of approach. Um, chained off, he was injury-related on Sunday, but, you know, there's games he's dipped out of this over the festive period where he'd gone from the starting 11 to out of the 20. And that was a, a management issue uh, in terms of managing the body of a, a more experienced player. Sergeant's different. His situation is this long injury layoff. I think it just underlines, which we all know, and which he's reaffirmed since he came back into the side and scored a couple of goals. He is, he is the one indispensable figure now between where the season can potentially go and where you know many fear it probably will lap but but he is the difference and it's been proven since he came back in you know the difference it's a transformational difference in terms of his impact on the players around him what Wagner's trying to do out of possession in possession um we've discussed here in this podcast about and we'll get into him in more depth no doubt Adam Eder but Barnes as well and neither of those two um in the way David Wagner wants to go about the task uh, of accumulating results for Norwich City can offer what Josh Sargent can offer. So I think it it was a, a an ultra-cautious approach with a player who he cannot afford to be without between now and the end of the season for what matters. It's not about cup progress, it's about league progress, hopefully, uh, in terms of that top six dynamic. Um, so no, I can understand it. I can understand both sides, yeah. At least have him on the bench and you could give him 20 minutes, but what if he gets injured, hypothetically, in those 20 minutes? And then what would Wagner have been hit around the head with them metaphorically? Why on earth did you risk him in that game when they had no real realistic prospect of getting past Liverpool and now he's out for the foreseeable? So, no, I think that was probably the right call for me. Uh, but you're probably going to follow up with that. There was a debate there about maybe some of those younger players in terms of the bench dynamic. Um, why two keepers? Why Poeta when it's been made clear he's going? So yeah. back to you, Connor. Yeah, well, we will we will come back to that in a moment because uh, I've got got an email to read and various different things to to read from from people who who have got in touch actually about that very point, and I think it lends itself because we were at the under twenty ones game um, on Saturday to um, a sort of broader conversation. So I want to give it time um, in, in just a moment. But Sam, in terms of, of of this week, just to cap it off as a whole, two defeats. I mean. Where Where is your head at with it? Because it felt like Norwich had built up such a run of momentum. This was always, and I think we spoke about it a lot on last week's pod, this was always going to be a really difficult week for them. Do you feel that they come out of it with any less momentum heading into what is a pretty pivotal championship season? Do you think it's one that you can almost put in a box and lock away and you don't need to ever sort of um, touch it ever again? I mean, how, how do you how do you kind of reflect on, on the week of, of two defeats for Norwich? Yes, yeah, a, a really interesting one, I think. 
as much as we'd love to to say that you can put it in a box and that you can look at it rationally and say, okay, it was a trip to Leeds who have been unbelievable at home and it was a trip to Anfield who are obviously top of the Premier League. I don't think, unfortunately, that human psychology really works like that and you can just go back to West Brom and sort of retain the the momentum that they had at that point. You know, I, I think there are certain elements in which they haven't taken much of a hit. I don't think fans are especially displeased with things, um, certainly on the pitch, you know, obviously we'll come on to transfers and I think there might be some elements there that they struggle with, but in terms of on the pitch and the results that the team are getting, I don't think there's any frustration at the moment that, that wasn't there before, or they've they've lost any goodwill from the, the good run that they were building up going into this week, but somebody said to me um, yesterday when I was speaking to fans at Anfield actually, and I thought it was a good point that every time they seem to get sort of in and around the playoffs and just within sort of touching distance and a couple of points, that's when they seem to fall away. And whether that's luck or whether that's sort of a mentality issue, that's something that probably David Wagner's got to address and address it quickly because you know we we keep going through these cycles of. Norwich dropping off and we talk all about the negatives and then they they sort of pick up again and get close to the playoffs and we talk about whether they can actually do it and the fact that they're tracking in the right direction. None of that is going to matter if they finish eighth at the end of the season. You know, It's all about reaching the top six and although the improvement is good to see and it's always, I think, encouraging as a football fan, if things aren't going especially well, if you can see them tracking in the right direction, then that's always a positive. But it feels like at the moment, they're struggling to actually make that jump. And if they can't make that jump until the end of the season, then of course they'll they'll fail to meet the objective they set at the start of it. So I think maybe addressing that issue is is where they go next. But in terms of sort of the wider feeling around the club and certainly around the team and how they're performing on the pitch, I don't think they would have taken much of a hit from, from two probably very understandable and, and quite predictable results this week, to be honest. Adam, is is it a week? And and this this it always feels slightly easy to say, but is it a week that I think will will probably get reflected on a bit more after the Coventry game, irrespective of, or maybe respective of how that goes, because they pick up a win and, and it does feel like then you can you can just put it in a box, never talk about it, and leave it alone. And it was just you know Leeds and Liverpool very very tough. If you then get beat at home to Coventry, and we'll speak hopefully if we've got time a little bit about that game later on, then then it's one that probably gets reflected on as, as again. As Sam touches upon there, the the one where the tide turned again, the one where we're talking about streaks again and form again. So it, it does feel like the next, as always, the, you know, to roll out a footballing cliche, the next game's the most important. But certainly, as we to look back, it almost feels like it, we're, we're going to have to wait for Coventry to really sort of assess how this week and, and maybe the damage or not that this week has done. Yeah, I feel like performances, you know, they're kind of graded almost at the start of the season and you kind of get away with it a little bit more. But I think given kind of the the nature of the championship at the moment and, and how crucial it is to to keep sort of close to the pack that's trying to, you know, push for those sort of final two places in, in the top six, you, you can't really afford to lose ground and you kind of look sort of maybe further back in the season. I mean, going off the back of the Leicester game at home, Norwich were relatively good that night. Then they went to Plymouth and got batted 6-2 and the, the mood was completely different um, after that game, maybe compared to the to the Leicester game during the week. So it feels kind of similar to that almost in that, you know, if, if Norwich do do lose on Saturday, all the positives would have probably drained drained away again. And, and given, you know, as we sort of said, I said earlier on, if, if Coventry win during the week, it'd be eight points behind. And that feels like a really difficult task again to sort of claw back an extra nine points on a side that's, you know, certainly on an upwards trajectory at the moment under Mark Robbins as well. So, yeah, it's it's a really big game for their season and, and one that I feel kind of in this kind of cycle that we're in at the moment, it's a little bit win or win or die. And, you know, that might shift again and after another three games if, if they go and get three more wins. But um, And this is going to rumble on a bit like last season. But, yeah, certainly from the sort of fans' perspective, given it's a home game as well, that they've got to really be, Gunning for gunning for a win, um, and yeah, I think it's a it's a big one, and and the performance kind of on on Saturday, if they just grind out a win, probably uh, the performance maybe doesn't go under the microscope quite so much, maybe compared to to the games that have just gone where the performance was good, but the, the results less so. Yeah, so some big home games coming up in in particular Coventry, then then QPR away, um, and then Watford at home, which again another team in and around them that is um, that is going to be pretty difficult. Now you you alluded to it, Paddy. I wanted to read this email that, that uh, John sent an Orange fan called John sent me last night. Um, I hope you don't mind me reading it out, John. I'm sure you don't. Um, 
he has said, I'm a season ticket holder and extremely concerned at the lack of progress slash opportunity under David Wagner for uh, our academy prod- prospects. We really lost Alex Matos as we failed to give him an opportunity. Yeah, he was good enough to play for Chelsea. Uh, he did on limited occasions, but... Uh, by the by. Uh, the same seems to be happening with Kenna Bow. What is the point in naming two goalkeepers on the bench at Liverpool? It seems our academy is now a separate entity with our summer signings preventing any opportunities. And that leads me on to uh, another point. And this was one that was uh, made elsewhere. Let me try and find it. So uh, this is from, from Dan Emery. So uh, a, a tweet from him or whatever we call these things these days uh, in three FA Cup games two against League One opposition obviously Bristol Rovers over um, the original game and the replay Norwich have handed a combined three starts to under 21 player Kellen Fisher once John Rowe once Liam Gibbs once whereas players aged 30 or over were handed a combined 17 starts in those three games are people right to be concerned Paddy at the moment about the lack of opportunities that young players seem to be getting at Norwich City given how key to the ethos and maybe even the sustainability of the club it is that, that those players are given a pathway. Yes, that's the bottom bottom line, because that runs counter that what you've quoted there from those fans uh, is counter to what this club is all about and has been all about, certainly in the last period. And, and with Ben Napper's arrival and the sounds from him about lowering the age profile, that's implicitly saying that, we need younger players and they're not going to have the wherewithal to go and stock their squad, first team squad with younger players in the market. You have to hot house them and develop them. And anybody who's observed from a distance uh, about the transformation at Colney, well, that's not about bricks and mortar or it shouldn't just be about that. Shiny though those those new buildings are, it's about people inside those buildings, whether it's coaching or whether it's talent and developing that talent because that is the only way this model works. Uh, it is the fundamental pillar um, within the structure and everything from the arrival of the Atanasio group and Ben Napper is consistent with we need to develop our own. And um, how do you develop to pick up the, the emailers point? You know, the, the, the final elements of the pathway, the most important elements are taking them from a development setting, dropping them into a first team setting and they make that transition and they go on then and improve your first team in the short term interim period. And then as we've seen, you know, we can list them all from Aaron's to Madison to Lewis's to Ben Godfrey. You then grow their profiles and their, and their standing within the game to the point where you can send, sell them for many millions. And, you know, a player that you haven't had to pay relatively a huge amount to develop um, yourself and many millions. You can then, if you have the right people in place and the right departments, can astutely reinvest that to make you better as a group, as a club moving forward. So none of that, none of that should be a revelation because that's what the people inside the club have told us that what this club is, is built on. And, and we've seen the practical evidence of that with those players I've already mentioned. The issue now, the concern I'm sure, is post that wave of players, who's come through? John Rowe? Um, is he the only one? So that is that good enough hit rate for uh, in the last two, three, four seasons? I would would suggest it's not. Um, they have now a, a clutch of younger players out on loan, so that there's maybe a sense that they're not quite ready yet uh, in terms of being in and around it with Norwich. I'm thinking of Abu Kamara primarily, um, who's doing great things with Portsmouth. But even that, you know, I've talked about it in the last week or so. There's a very pertinent parallel with Barley Mumba this time last year. He's uh, ripping it up for League One level with Plymouth. Goes on to, you know, individually win a lot of accolades. Um, wins the league with Plymouth. Comes back to Norwich. We all think last summer, right here he is now. He's finally arrived in terms of his Norwich cycle. He's going to be a key player. David Wagner clearly didn't fancy him in the style of player he wanted for that, for that part of his defensive unit. Uh, and he goes and they use that funds to go and buy Christian Fashnacht. You know, is, is that uh, developing your players... Improving your squad? No, I would I would argue, with the greatest respect to Christian Fashnack. So, it's no guarantee, and I think this is this is the part of the equation that maybe is a concern. It, it rests on the head coach who's in charge at that given moment, as we did with Daniel Farker, to give these players the opportunity. It's one thing saying we've got all this great young talent. You need a head coach who's going to be bold and brave enough because ultimately they will be judged by winning games of football. But can they integrate younger players? 
while still winning games of football. And that's the that was the genius there. I say of Farker in his best spells at Norwich that he was able to to marry the two together and blend it with experienced players around there because this isn't one or the other. It's not we just need to pack our team or or our match day squad with young players. No, you need experienced players in any dressing room and on the pitch. Clearly, but. It feels like, particularly after the back of last summer's recruitment, that the, 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 the dial tipped too far the other way. And it really fundamentally seemed at odds with what this club has supposedly set up to do, which is to bring young players through and make that the core of your footballing philosophy. Um, so, yeah, it has, to, it has to tilt back the other way now. And that's going to take time. And as I say, maybe what's happened in this window with younger players going out on loan with a view to coming back in and being part of it next summer is the first signal of that. But there could have been another signal at Anfield by, you know, not naming two keepers on the bench, not having Poeta on the bench, who's not going to be anywhere near it, given less than 24 hours previous in the same part of the, the world, Norwich's 21s were all up there. So from a logistic point of view, would it have been an issue to get players to travel from Manchester to Liverpool to be on the bench? I mean, Ken Abbo, I see that scenario, given he's not potentially, it looks like, going to be here next summer. What is the value of Norwich letting him go on the bench at Anfield? So, OK, we can put, part that one there. But Montoya, the left-back, the young Portuguese left-back who's, who's part of that development team, has produced some eye-catching numbers in terms of assists. We saw him at Old Trafford on Saturday. He looks very good going forward. I think defensively you'd, con- you'd have concerns about him. But zoom out. At the moment, McCallum and Yanoulis, the two first-choice uh, left-backs for Norwich, both out of contract this summer. There's no sign that they're going to have contracts renewed. So come the summer, those two are out of the building. What does your first team left back situation look like? Surely Montoya is part of that equation as he's here at the minute and he's the next cab off the rank, should should you put it that way. So surely put him into that environment yesterday, even if it was only to be on the bench and get a, get a, get a taste for it, you know, in, in that environment, that elite environment at Anfield against some elite players. Surely that, from a development point of view, makes more sense than Poeta on the bench. I put that directly to David after the game and he said, yes, that was discussed, but... They felt the players who'd, who'd played a lot of minutes on Saturday, there, there wasn't a lot of value in bringing them to Anfield. So, you know, I don't agree with that view and I don't think too many Norwich fans would do, but that that has to be the accusation levelled at David Wagner at this moment in time. Does he trust these young players enough? And you can, we could we could develop devote a complete pod to this topic, but Liam Gibbs, what has happened to Liam Gibbs? You yeah. know, how has he yeah. been handled? Um Jaden Warner gets a little taste of it under David Wagner. It has to be said, League and Cup debuts this season. Then he's nowhere near it. And now he's out on loan at Notts County. So it's all right saying this is our guiding light and this is what we're about as a football club. But the most important person in that equation for me is the head coach. And if the head coach doesn't buy into it in the here and now, um, then there is going to be a blockage to the pathway. And uh, that needs to be unblocked because if it's not, then sadly you'll get more Matosses and, uh, and Ken Abbos off here. Yeah, and, and and the facts of this, since since David Wagner has been Norwich City head coach, there's been two senior debuts, um, and that's Abu Kamara uh, in a, in a 1-0 defeat to to Sheffield United um, in April, and that's Jaden Warner in, in in November. I mean, uh, if you want to contrast that with, with previous ones, obviously Daniel Farker gave a whole host of, of players their debut over a prolonged period of time, and there's talk of this, what, 26 is it debutants since however many years or whatever. I'd, I, although, you know, I would counter that by saying how many of those have actually played more than two minutes because um, you could probably shave quite a few few of those off. Uh, yes, I know that they, they were pointing towards John Rowe, but he, he was he was given his, his debut by Dean by Dean Smith, Tony Springett likewise. I mean, it's, it's only those two in terms of, of, of pure numbers. Uh, and John Rowe, really, I mean, with, with his talent, he should have made it whoever the, the, the head coach was. And there's, again a case to be made that actually if he was fit last season he, he would have been involved and you're right I mean I'll, I'll, I'll read what, what David Wagner said um, you, you said you asked him the question he said we discussed this but it makes no sense for a player who played 90 minutes yesterday to be involved in this game it's worth noting that Caleb Anson did play 90 minutes for the under 18s on Saturday um, at uh, Aston Villa and a very good win for the under 18s as well and it's, it's worth noting as well that Norwich always travel with free goalkeepers so the idea that, oh, well, a young player has been given an opportunity. Yes, fine. He, he's a young player. He's on the bench. But free goalkeepers always travel. So he'd have got that experience anyway. Never going to get on the pitch. Like you said there, Paddy, it, it's, a, it's a waste of a place, really. Norwich have essentially reduced themselves down from nine subs to, to, to eight subs. Then you throw in the fact Poeta, who I think we probably would expect um, if all planets aligned, um, c- could leave the club before deadline day. That's That's another spot there that, again, could be wasted. 
what what do you lose even if you've got no intention of throwing these young players on the pitch a Finley Welsh uh Montoya you, you you mentioned it there Joe Duffy who's who's had a very good season Daniel Ogwuru the Manchester City the, the young lad who came from from Manchester City there are there are loads of options there that, that you could throw on the bench and I think this is this is the frustration that that, that people have Sam because I guess what what's the problem here? Is it a lack of talent from Norwich City's perspective, or is it a head coach that, that doesn't trust that that talent? This is where ultimately this this debate is at the moment, isn't it? Well, it's really really hard to judge because that under twenty ones division is so different to the actual senior level. Um, I suppose there there is a school of thought that David Wagner is paid to to sort of make those judgments, but I think you look at the way that it's unfolding and it is just a little bit of a, a vicious cycle you know yes Norwich might not have the levels of quality that they had sort of in in Farkas era the likes of Godfrey and, and Campbell and Jamal Lewis to to bring into their team but that quality is only going to diminish the more the the pathway does so and um, you know you look at obviously um, that the uh, you know John from the email mentioned um, Alex Matos. It looks like Kenna Bow is going to go the same way. And if those players are deciding that there's better futures for them elsewhere, what's how is it going to get better if this sort of pattern um, continues? This has only been a year, really, or, or just over a year of David Wagner being in charge and Norwich City having a head coach who doesn't really like to throw youth in, you know, to, to Dean Smith's. Defence, yes, there are a lot of things that he got wrong in his time at Carrow Road, but he wasn't afraid to throw those young players in and, and introduce them to the first team setup. So after you know a year of David Wagner's stewardship, Norwich have lost, or looks like they're, they're set to lose two of their brightest young talents. If this goes on for you know two, three, four more years, how many of those players could they include in that? And I think you know I've seen a couple of arguments about the fact that when big clubs come in for players, there's basically nothing Norwich could do. There's an argument to say that, you know, Alex Matos got an offer from Chelsea, which player would turn down Chelsea to stay at Norwich. But these players are, you know, these big clubs have, have their eyes on so many players and any, any key talent that Norwich have playing in, you know, Premier League two, which is obviously the highest level of under 21 football. These big clubs will know about it. They, they are making offers for players at other clubs really consistently but other you know these players are looking at the pathway and saying okay is it best if I you know go to to Chelsea or Arsenal and become part of this sort of meat grinder where there's you know it feels like hundreds of of players at that level at times and almost get forgotten about or is it best to stay at Norwich become a key player and and go through the ranks that way and I think it's alarming the extent to which players are actually thinking it's better to have their names associated with the big clubs than to try and get championship minutes for Norwich because that doesn't feel feasible at the moment. You know, there's there's no doubt these talents that have come through the Norwich Academy system and played for their first team before have had interest and offers from from bigger clubs. I think Countwell spoke about interest from Arsenal in a recent interview, but because they saw this potential other route to success where they could establish themselves as first team names at Carrow Road and then try and make the move as a first team player, they were able to keep those talents. And I think that that cycle of do they have enough quality to to impact the first team and are they introducing enough players to the first team, they're only going to make each other worse, really. So, you know, as I think both of you have said, really, it would have been worth just giving them that incentive and just chucking a couple of players onto the bench to show them that they are maybe closer to the first team environment than, than it feels that they might be at the moment. But um, yeah, it does all feel a little bit short-sighted as I think we've seen from the club in various different ways over the last year or so. So it's definitely something that with the model of this club, especially financially and the fact that they weren't able to to sell players enough to create that revenue for the in the last set of accounts, um, I think you can see in which direction it's heading. And and whether it comes from Ben Napper or it comes from David Wagner, somebody needs to step in and, and sort that out, really. Yeah, and you, you touched upon it there, this this argument that oh, when, when bigger clubs come in for these players, they're always going to have their head turned. And I accept that to to an extent. But with Alex Matos and, and Kenna Bow, they've had interest from, from these clubs 
all throughout their way in Norwich's academy, even from the point that they joined and, and they were convinced to join Norwich City because of the pathway that, that they have. Uh, Kenneth Bowe, his, his first senior contract that he signed for Norwich City, Chelsea were very much there and alive and wanted to sign him. Likewise for Alex Matos, they continued at Norwich and they invested in Norwich because they felt there was that progression to, to the first team. Now, you know, the club will argue different things have happened and, and whatnot, and maybe they weren't ready or whatever. And someone has to make that judgment at some point. And look, maybe these players will never, ever be good enough to play for Norwich City. Maybe that's the reality. But even way, if you're a club that kind of packages yourself as being self-funded, as being de dependent on these youth players coming up, as Norwich City have done in, in recent times, that wants to shout about all the senior debuts that you give to players, then that has to be consistent you have to be consistent with that as well and, and and it can't be this kind of blocking of pathways um by moving away from that and i guess this is again stems back to the criticism of their recruitment in the summer adam doesn't it because they, they recruited a, a bunch of players that didn't align with what they were trying to be and this is where this kind of confliction has come and why a lot of fans are confused at the moment because you can't say we're a club that really wants to play young players and then have at one stage as they did this season, eleven players over thirty in your squad. Those two things don't don't marry up. No, it's been a concern of mine for for a few seasons now. I know sort of when we had a brief sort of chat with, with Ben Napper off the record, I kind of mentioned that the lack of academy sort of players that have been brought through in, in recent seasons because it, it feels like, you know, like they're sort of brought up these numbers of the amount of players, but as you kind of alluded to, a lot of them have just been very brief minutes, um, you know, the likes of Akin Fameiwa or, or Jordan Thomas. So he was just made you know, a very brief appearance off the bench. I don't really categorise that in the, this is a player that's been given a firm pathway and is, you know, now developing into a, a first team regular for Norwich. And I think there's a lot of players in that academy that you can probably feel there's a, a growing frustration because under the likes of Daniel Farker, they probably would have been given an opportunity by now. I mean, Jaden Warner is another one who I think has been massively mismanaged. He, he's 21 already and he's only now getting his first loan. And it feels like if this loan doesn't go to plan, then it's probably going to be one who's going to be pushed out the door because he's effectively going to be getting to the point where where he's not really a young player anymore, which is kind of a similar situation to where Adam Eder's at now, you know, which I'm sure we're going to talk about that interest very shortly. But he's another player who probably needed a loan when he was 18, 19, go and get him some minutes in in a men's senior environment where he can develop more than he would be able to in, a, in an under-21 scenario or, or even off the bench for Norwich City, which has kind of been where he's predominantly been, um, you know, that's where, where the majority of his Norwich City career has been spent, really. And that's... Um, it's disappointing because I think there's a lot of talent in this group um, and it feels like kind of the, the loan market or loan route was used so effectively back in back in maybe the Stuart Webber era. And I know they're sort of trying to do that now. You've got the likes of Brad Hills and Abu Kamara and those kind of characters all out on loan. But um, it's all about then when they get back through the Colney door, are they going to be given that opportunity in the first team? And at the moment, it doesn't really feel like under David Wagner, that's going to be the case. And, and then they'll go and probably look for moves and maybe they'll develop into, you know, very good players in the future that are effectively playing at a high level or, or at the same level as Norwich. And there'll be that sort of feeling, I suppose, amongst Norwich fans that they weren't given the opportunity to to maybe play for their their boyhood team, some of them, or, or players that have been in and around the group for, for many years um, or at Colney for very years and developing. So, yeah, I think I think it's an understandable frustration, and I probably share that frustration, uh, you know, with the fans in in the you know a lot of these thirty year old players that Norwich have got at the moment are at the latter stages of their you know careers, and let's face it, they're not going to be here for the long term. These young players that are in the academy could have a long term future slash a sell on value for Norwich, which you know, given their financial situation, is it, so crucial that they try and maximise that. So. Yeah, understand the frustration and hopefully it's something that Ben Knapp is working on behind the scenes to, to find a pathway for these players. And, and the key thing is what, what you said there. It's, if these players aren't going to play, they need to raise money ultimately. And that's that's how you keep your academy sustainable. But it's either by producing youth products that, that develop into your first team. That's one route of productivity. And another is, I know Barley Mumble wasn't a Norwich City Academy graduate, but you could argue that they've, they've done well there in order to get kind of profit on him. The fact that they're going to be losing, they've lost Matos, irrespective of whether you think he's good enough for, for the now or whatever. And they're going to lose Kenna Bow as well in the summer. Both of those on free transfers, okay. They've got a sell on for, for Matos. Brilliant. Great. But the fact they are going to lose both of those players on freeze, I mean, what really, what's what, you know, if you're, if you're losing players of, of, of those kind of abilities, we, we all saw Kennebo play on Saturday. There's no way he should be playing in an under-21 league from what he displayed. He was, for me, uh, and a Manchester United player scored four goals on Saturday. I felt he was the best player on the pitch. And, and, and there's no way you should be losing a player of that talent for, for, for nothing. That, that really does feel like a, 
a crying shame. Um, so yeah, there we go. But but Paddy, I guess this we could extend this even further and probably include Adam Eder in, in, in this, right? Because uh, and his circumstances are a little bit different. But you've got a player there who's what turning 23 next month. There is frustrations from from his part, and probably understandably so, about again this this kind of lack of regular game time, this lack of regular opportunity to start and to impact games from the off. You've got a situation now where where Norwich City have a a loan offer on the table for him from from Hellas Verona with 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 an option to buy as well. Um, it, I mean, if you're him at this stage of the career, given kind of what you've seen and what you've endured in in the last few years, I mean, you, that, that's an opportunity you'd want to take, isn't it? Well, I mean, certainly the loan element of that, because you know, if he's and it ties into the Josh Sargent debate earlier on. If Josh Sargent stays fit, it'll be Josh Sargent and Ashley Barnes for here to the end of this championship season under this head coach. In that scenario, Adam Eder is far better getting out. Okay, they're struggling at the wrong end of Serie A, but um, apparently they've got Juventus coming up in a few weeks. So, you know, do you want to sit on the bench for Norwich in the championship or do you want to be on the pitch against Juventus and, and trying to prove you, that you are good enough to start games in a, a relatively high-profile league across Europe. I mean, it could, yeah. It, I, I, if if I'm in the the Eder camp and probably the player himself, I'm looking at that as a as a springboard opportunity. Whether you know it's the comeback to Norwich having proven definitively now. Look, I've gone away and I've scored goals in Serie A. Surely I'm coming back to in all probability a Championship season. I have to I have to have a more prominent role, and I don't think anybody internally could dispute that's the case if he went and did that. So. Props to him because he, you know, it could be the other way, and he, you know, he could be. And there's plenty of players in the game at all, all age ranges now who are happy just to be in the squad and picking up decent money, have the security of a longer term contract. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to, at this age, um, be a regular first team player and, and not a super sub. Dare I say it? Which is kind of where he's getting himself bracketed now. And I don't think is any it fair? Who's... Is that a fair label that he's that he's that he's got? Fair. Well, it's it's fair on on the evidence of this season because he's come off the bench and scored six or seven times. So yes, he is a super sub. Um, it is it fair that he should be bracketed as a super sub? Well, that that's two things. That's on opportunities regularly to start games, which is out of his hands. But then when he gets an opportunity, he has to take it. And you know, you could argue certainly when Sargent got himself injured. Um, and then Barnes subsequently got himself injured. That it was there was a there was a run of games there, and we said at the time this is his opportunity now. And did he grasp it? Probably not. But you know it wasn't all down to him. The team was going backwards collectively. You know that scored, tough... scored more goals than Ashley Barnes this season. Scored more goals than Huang this season. I mean, is is there much more he could could do? Could have done? Well, for for me, no. But uh, but ultimately, it comes back to the the, the topic about uh, development players and the pathways that rests on the opinions of one individual. Effectively, his his opinion is the last opinion that matters in this. And that's David Wagner. And if David Wagner, and we we know because the evidence is clear, when all three are available, who starts out of those two? It's not Adam Eder. So, in the view of David Wagner, Adam Eder is his third choice striker. Um, is that fair? Well. It depends which side of the line you're on, and uh, but fair or unfair, it's not going to change. It, why? Why would it now? Why would suddenly now Ashley Barnes out? You come. I'm going Adam Eder and Josh Sargent when he hitherto has not shown any inclination to do that. So fair or unfair, it's not going to change between now and the end of the season under this head coach. So if I'm in the Adam Eder camp, the decision's pretty clear. Do I want to play football? Yes. Do I want to start games regularly? Yes. I'm going to have to go elsewhere, and now. The ball is very firmly in Norwich's court because the problem is now we, we've got to this point in the window where I don't think if you're Norwich you can really let him out because of the headcount. And David Wagner has been at pains to talk about headcount around the Bajetta decision that he doesn't want to leave himself short because purely in his terms he wants as many available options as possible. That's understandable. Um, but if, if you're Ben Napper, do you let Adam Eder go off to Italy and leave yourself with Sargent and Barnes? Because it's increasingly difficult to see how they could bring in another striker between now and who who essentially would have to accept the same role as Adamida, i.e. you're coming in not to start games, my friend. You're coming in because we need a body. So what type of market does that open up to? A very thin seam of players available and the finances that would be involved to make that happen. So it's not a good situation now that, that's, that's unfolding uh, for any party in this drama. But uh, yeah, it's hard to see how 
how it gets resolved for Adam Eden now in terms of Norwich, unless he goes and plays football elsewhere. So, um, you know, you can you can ask me, is it fair or not? I don't think that's really the debate. The debate is, is he now going to get an opportunity? Not under this head coach. No, it's, it's it's a shame once again, once again, and he's found himself in the, in this position quite a lot throughout his Norwich career. That maybe the benefit of of his development is is probably going to be prevented because Norwich City need a body in, and and that's kind of basically what his Norwich City career has has been. He's he's been a body. He's been a support to Temipuki. He's been, you know, because they haven't been able to find anyone else, and those that they have found, Josip Dermich, Dennis Shrebeni, maybe even at points, barring Jordan Rhodes, who I think did a fairly good job in that role. All of those strikers have, have probably failed to do that to to to, to an extent. Even Josh Sargent, um, when he was in that role, was still playing games, albeit he was playing out wide. And I know he wasn't completely happy with that, but he was still playing games. Adam Eder hasn't really hasn't really had that opportunity. And you look at the amount of minutes that he's played for someone who's going to turn twenty three, compared to you know your average twenty three year old at, at this age. Max Aarons is a very exceptional example, but is an example of if you get the pathway right and if you embed players in at the right time, you compare the amount of football that those two have got at the same points in their career, you can understand why he is um, why he is so frustrated. Sam, we're, we're limited for, for time. Um, we're probably expecting, look, famous last words, but we're expecting it to be a relatively quiet um, end to the transfer window. Um, probably one for us to reflect on a little bit more next week when it is closed and we can look at it uh, in the round of what they have and what they haven't done. Hypothetically, and we are dealing in the realms of hypotheticals at the moment, we're a little bit pressed for time. Um, if this window shut right here, right now, and this was the business, Norwich City hadn't brought anyone in, they trimmed their squad uh, with Foreshore departing and, and a few loans. What sort? How would you? How would you assess and review and, and feel that window has gone for for Norwich City? I think you'd have to have to view it as a failure. To be honest, I'm sure Wagner will, will try and spin it as. You know, a positive that they've kept Gabriel Sara and they've kept Jonathan Rowe. Obviously, if if neither of those players exit, which feels likely, um, but you know, there's been a lot of talk about a sort of a rebuild, a, a reset, a, a refresh of this squad. Really, you know, Napa's talked about producing the age profile. This was his first opportunity to do that, and although there haven't really been the the requisite funds for Norwich to do much business, I think to go a whole window without making a single signing. And I suppose Jonathan Varane would be the one that feels most likely. And even that is is pretty unlikely between now and the end of the we- window, certainly. Um, but yeah, to come into a squad that clearly needs to to change quite a lot and to do nothing in your, your first opportunity to do that, I think has to be seen as a disappointment. And I think the fans will see that as a disappointment. Um, we spoke at the start of the window about the fact that it was Napa's first real opportunity to to make any sort of mark. He came in and people were expecting Wagner to go and that didn't happen and there's not been any communication in terms of media really apart from a very short interview um, at the start of his his tenure and this was his first opportunity to actually show some intention with with actions and although there wasn't much money available um, not really much much money available at all they could have done something and they could have been a little bit more proactive about about doing something. And I think that, to be brutally honest, has to be viewed as a failure because they've they've failed to do anything at all. You know, getting Adam Forshaw off the books is a, a very minor positive and obviously they've ended that Huang loan, but they've still got nine players over thirty on the books and um and they haven't reduced that age profile at all by by recruiting any any younger players. So um yeah, it's hard to really look for the positives, aside from from keeping Jonathan Rowe, which felt fairly likely given it's January um, anyway. To be honest, so yeah, although I'm sure, I'm sure Wagner will have some positives to tell us about when when we ask him to assess the window, as he's he said he will. I don't really see that there are too many, and it's hard for me to to really look at it with anything but but disappointment. To be honest. Just finally, Paddy, I wanted to clear up this point just because I've had a few people say to me, oh, you get to the end of January and Ben Napper's going to sit down and do a load of uh, do a load of interviews and, and whatnot, um, which is news to me. I mean, just where are, where are we at in terms of Ben Napper sitting down and doing any comms? Is, is there any plan from, from your perspective for that? My perspective? <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd very much well, like... Yeah, what have you heard? Talk, what yeah. are you being told? Because, you know, we've, we've asked the question. Well... I mean, we we will be formally requesting a sit down with Ben Napa. I can, we, I can exclusively reveal that one. But uh, in terms of 
is there something in actually in the pipeline? Uh, well, if it is, it hasn't been communicated to us. Um, I know other media have floated. <laughs> yeah, whether that's it, whether that means there is something and we're we're excluded. I wouldn't yeah. have thought that would be the case, but uh, I know other media have floated the idea and continue to float the idea. Um, but in the here and now, no, uh, I've not had any guidance from those who matter in this area inside the football club that that when the window slams shut, to quote Sky Sports, uh, we will be sitting down with Ben Napper to discuss matters, transfer window matters more broadly about directions of travel. Um, so that's TBC as far as I'm concerned. Okay, good stuff. Just wanted to clarify that. And I don't think it's going to be a case of the, the, the window slamming shut. I think it'll be a case of someone gently coming in, just nudging it and just putting the latch on come uh, come 11 o'clock on on uh, on Thursday evening when it, when it does close. But we'll be across it, of course, on all our relevant channels. Gents, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you all very much for listening. Thanks to our sponsors, Coleman's of Norwich as well. We'll be back after next week's game at Carrow Road against Coventry, uh, the Paddy Davitt derby. And uh, we'll reflect on all of that and we'll bring the heat back and we'll do all of that good stuff there's too much to talk talk about this week to include that so we'll bring it all back again next week enjoy your week um a Norwich City quiet week really but then a big game on Saturday thanks for watching and listening see you soon <laughs>